I'll open up in prayer and I want you to join with me to ask that the Lord would bless us this uh, evening or morning, wherever you're at. <clears throat> Father, we just come before you, Lord, and I ask right now in Jesus' name. I ask for your presence. I ask for your blessing. God, I pray that you would induce in our hearts a desperation. God, I pray that we would not be lethargic. We would not be slothful. As your word says in Romans, that we would not be slothful in zeal, but we would be fervent serving the Lord. Father, create fervor in our hearts. God, I ask that you would illumine our hearts, Lord. May we not rely on the flesh or look to the flesh. May we look to you and your power. God, teach us not to be dependent upon this world system. Teach us not to be dependent on the world. Teach us to be dependent upon you and to trust in you, to have faith in you, O Lord. And God, I pray that you would fill our hearts with your joy. Father, whatever is disturbing us today, I ask God that you would replace that with joy in you. God, whatever is causing us to be heavy or causing us to succumb to depression or self-defeating thoughts, Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you would replace all those thoughts that the devil would implant and that we would savor your truth and that we would come to a closer relationship with you, Father. Holy Spirit, draw us, draw us to the Father. Holy Spirit, draw us to the Father. We need you, Holy Spirit. We trust in your ministry. We trust that you intercede for us for when we know not what to pray as we ought, that you would make intercession for the saints in accord with the will of God. And Lord Jesus, we praise you for your high priestly ministry. It's been over 2,000 years and yet you continue to live to make intercession for the saints. Thank you for the atonement, for the cross. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy, for it endures forever. Oh God, help us to be satisfied in you. And Father, I pray that you would grant me the words to speak this day with your authority and your power. Grant illumination, grant light that your people may see. That we would understand the love of God in a higher way, in a deeper way, in a longer way. Shed abroad your love in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And Father, I pray that you would repel everything that would seek to hinder your word, seek to hinder your will, O Lord. Father, I pray that no individual in this place would be derailed in their attention. Father, I pray, God, that your presence would be here, O Lord, and that as you grant us a visitation, Father, we would not miss the hour of our visitation. May the living Christ dwell in our midst. Father, Dwell, O Lord. Be pleased to dwell in our midst, O God. Be pleased to dwell and make your presence known this day and speak to the hearts of your people, I ask in Jesus' name. And grant me, Lord, ability to speak, Father, with pinpoint precision. And help us, O Lord, to take dominion in Jesus' mighty name. <coughs> Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Amen.
Today I want to ask that we would um, turn our Bibles to the book of Genesis. Um, Genesis in the first chapter, the 26th verse. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Or go, Genesis, if you didn't know, means the beginning. Um, I think we live in a day where there are so many people preoccupied and concerned about the future, which we should be. Um, we're concerned so much about the future. With eschatology and you got people are frantic over blood moons. And everything, and I'm not saying that um, to to fail to give attention to the book of Revelation is isn't proper. We we have to allow the total all of Scripture to speak for itself. Um, people say I'm a New Testament Christian. Uh, that's not biblical. What's biblical is to be a central biblicist. That is to say that we take into account the Old and the New Testaments. They complement each other. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The, Old, the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And so, you know, Jesus said of the scribe, uh, of a teacher of the law, he says that a teacher of the law that comes into the kingdom is as a man that draws out treasures from the house, both from old and the new. And so um, it, is, it is imperative that we take a look at both because there are certain passages in the New that we cannot understand without looking to the Old. But as much as we're preoccupied with Revelation and, and we need to give attention to that, I want to go to Genesis and take a look at the beginnings. And what's important about the beginning is that as you look and you do, as you examine the beginning, what you will find are what theologians would refer to as the law of first mention. Um, it's mentioned first, and that that first mention is the groundwork, the foundation. Uh, the it gives us uh, an understanding for that term later on in other passages where it's mentioned. So if you find something in the scriptures and you're wondering what exactly that means, then you're going to go back to the Bible wherever it was mentioned first. And that serves as the, the standard. But nevertheless, um, one of the important things as we're looking here in the beginning, if we go to the 26th verse, <clears throat> what do we find? And uh, we find that God has given Adam dominion. And uh, if you look in the Hebrew word for Adam, it simply means man. And that's what his name was. But he serves not only as a man, he serves as um, the image of God. And what does it mean to be the image of God? And typically when we say the image of God, we think of one endowed with rational faculties, one who's able to think, who has moral properties that is to say he, he can do right or wrong you know has has a you know sense of intention of the will but you have to think of the will of god deeper than that 
See, man cannot see God. The Bible tells us that man has not seen God at any time. And so what Adam served as a federal head, he served as an image of the God you cannot see. He was a representation of God on earth. He wasn't God himself. This is what Jesus said. Does it not say in the scriptures, ye are gods? Okay, am I... I hope I didn't lose anybody this early in the the teaching. I'm not saying that Adam was God. He was the son of God. And if you look at Luke and you look at Matthew, it attributes to him sonship. And, well, he was a legal representative of God on earth. He was the image of God. But what happened is he failed. And and what happened is when he sinned, all as we all know, and we hear very often, but I'll say it again, is... And um, because it's very central to our understanding of Christianity, is when he sinned, all of humanity fell with him. Right? And so, but look at here in the beginning, we see God says, Then God said, Let us make men in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, <coughs> over the livestock and all the wild animals. And over all the creatures that move along the ground. So, <coughs> who's moving along the ground? The serpent. So, the, and Jesus even said in the, later in the Gospels, he gave authority to his disciples. He says, you shall tread upon scorpions and, and adders and, and so on and so forth. But you see, number one, is that God has given Adam rule he has given adam dominion and the scope of his dominion is listed here so adam was not to be a doormat adam was not to uh to have people walk over him he was not to be overcome rather he was to overcome uh, the elements he was to overcome uh the things on the earth the creatures and so on and so forth he in other words was to take dominion um, once again, it says, then God said. So this isn't um, something Adam elevated himself to or had conferred upon himself. This is God-given authority. This is Adam's jurisdiction. It says, let us make men in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and of the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now, um, if you notice here, earth was given to man. In the Psalms, I can't quote exactly which Psalm, but it's in the Psalm 100s. It says, uh, the heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth has he given to the sons of men. And so the scope of Adam's dominion is earth, while heavens belong to the Lord. Is that much, is that clear? Is, Is all that clear thus far? I need. I, I want to just encourage once again to pay attention because I'm going to be building upon each other. As I've mentioned already, that this is primarily going to be a teaching and not so much a preaching. But the Bible says in Psalm 51, Then will I teach sinners in the way, and, and they shall be converted unto you. Uh, there's an element, that there's um, a, a necessity for teaching. 
Okay, my, my wife posted it here. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to mankind. And so the scope of, of our, the jurisdiction that has been allotted to man is earth. Now, as we, this, as we find out and we learn is that um, that was revoked from him, that was taken from him because of his sin. He was banished from the presence of God. And that, that uh, he lost what he had originally been given by the hand of God the day that sin fell into uh, 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 humanity. Sin had infected humanity. Is that, are we clear about that? Sin had come and had taken from Adam what was rightfully his. And Satan beguiled Eve and, and from that point forward was a catastrophe. Okay, but let us uh, make very clear that the first point here that I'm making and that the Bible is making is that God has given Adam dominion, right? This is, this is the very beginning. This is pre-sin. Before sin comes into the world, God has given Adam authority and dominion, okay? Okay, so now... What Jesus had come to do is to restore that dominion. <clears throat> Jesus did not come. The Bible says in Hebrews, it says uh, that he has come to destroy the works of the devil. I believe Hebrews chapter 3, if I'm not mistaken, and First John, John the Apostle also echoes that and says the reason the, that the Son of God was manifested was to destroy the works of the devil. Destroy all of his works. Not some of his works, but all of his works. Amen, somebody? Uh, and a part of Jesus' manifestation here on earth, a part of Jesus' coming uh, involved... Uh, undoing what the devil had accomplished. And by deceit, the devil accomplished taking dominion from man. But Jesus, in pursuit of undoing all that, comes on the scene and does exactly what? He restores that dominion. And let me, let me, take, let me take you real quickly to Matthew chapter 28, 18. Matthew chapter 28, 18. And I want to parallel this with what it says in Colossians. It says that Jesus triumphed over dominion, uh, uh, over um, principalities and, and uh, authorities by, by the blood of his cross. He triumphed over it by the cross. And when he resurrected from the dead we find that he appears to his apostles. And when he appears to his apostles, uh, again, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, this is what uh, the Lord says. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And what we learn in Romans chapter 5 is that Jesus was the second man Adam. Adam came as the first man and, and fell and sin entered the world. But it says through the second man, Adam, righteousness will reign through Jesus Christ. Amen, somebody? Am I, am I preaching Bible or, or 
You're unconvinced. Amen. It's it's scripture. So Jesus comes as the second man, Adam, and as the image of God, Jesus says, the Bible says in Colossians that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's God in the flesh, God incarnate. Great is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifested in the flesh. And so God comes on the scene and begins to snatch from the devil the keys and begins to confer them to himself. He takes the keys and and he now receives the authority that the devil had stolen from Adam. And see, not only did God, not only did Jesus accomplish this 2000 years ago, he's accomplishing it every single day in the lives of those saints who has trusted him in him for salvation. The devil has taken certain things from our lives and God wants to restore what the devil has stolen. He has stolen your dignity, he has stolen uh, your, your rights, he has stolen uh, so much. And uh, he, he seeks to confiscate all of that, but God wants to restore everything that the enemy has taken from your life. But notice here, it says very clearly, it says that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ. So, <clears throat> if it was given, that would imply there was a time in which he did not possess it. Right? If I told you I gave you a gift, well, what happened prior to me giving you that gift? Did you have it? No. So, Jesus is now given this, and if we look in uh, Revelation chapter um, 19, verse 15, I want you to, uh, as I've said, we're going to do a bit of Bible reading, um, so I trust that you'll be paying attention, because as I said, you it's kind of like math. Today I feel like it's kind of like math, because if you don't learn basic arithmetic, then you're going to fail to understand when we get to pre-algebra or algebra because they're building blocks and you have to you have to understand the mathematical basics before you can get to these more difficult concepts and so pay attention to each point that I'm making because they're building upon each other but if you look in Revelation chapter 19 verse 15 um you find here it says um Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword. This is referring to Jesus. With which to strike down the nations, he will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. So here it's speaking about the Christ. And what does it say? That rule has been given to him. That he will rule the nations. And so uh, dominion and rule and power has now been given to Jesus Christ. And in fact, remember Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus comes as a lion from the tribe of Judah. Well, if you look in Genesis chapter 49, if I'm not mistaken, when uh, the old patriarch began to bless the 12 tribes of Israel, one of those tribes was the tribe of Judah, and, and the blessing on Judah was this, that the scepter shall not depart from the tribe of Judah. 
So as early as Genesis, uh, what was prophesied and blessed over Judah was that the scepter shall not depart from Judah. That is to say that rule and dominion shall not will never be absent from this tribe. And as Jesus coming as a lion from the tribe of Judah, he remains as one who has authority and rule over the nations. Right? That, that's, that is a primary purpose for Christ's coming. And you see this all throughout the, the tapestry of the Old Testament concerning David. If you look at Psalm 89, or if you look in 2 Samuel, when Nathan the prophet had appeared to David, and the prophecy was that you shall not fail to have a son to seat upon your throne, and you will rule, and I will build a house for my name. Amen, Amen somebody? Well, I, I, I'll stop there. Um but so authority has been given to Jesus Christ. Now, this, this, I will get to how exactly that's relevant. But the third point I want to make is this. If you turn to Daniel chapter 2, two verse 44, <coughs> this was the blessed hope of the Jews. Even though some of them did not understand because they were thinking about the dominion and the rule from a, a, a natural perspective, and they did not understand um, the ways of the Lord and how exactly he would accomplish that. But if we look in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, um, and the third point I wanted to make is that this rule is over all kingdoms and, domin and, and um, uh, kings and, and lords, because uh, Christ is the King of Kings and He is the Lord of Lords. But if you look right here, Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, it says, In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. What kingdom is that? It's not talking about Rome. It's not talking about America. It's not talking about the Midian Persians. It's not talking about any of them. It's not talking about the Babylonians. Rome fell. Rome was destroyed. Right? But uh, uh, Babylon was destroyed. The things that were able to be shaken have now been shaken, but the things that are able to, uh, that remain remain. And what remains is this indestructible kingdom. Amen. The kingdom that has been given to Christ that he now sits as ruler over. See, this is why demons are expelled today successfully. This is why people are healed in the name of Jesus. This is why people are continuing to be saved because the earth has a king. There is a king who sits upon the throne who when his name is invoked, demons are expelled. Amen. Demons are expelled. But it says, In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a, a kingdom that will never be destroyed. What is that kingdom? It's the kingdom of Christ. It is the rule of Christ. This is why Jesus says, he says, the kingdom has come nigh unto thee. When he preached 
and he had gone all throughout the regions. He says, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. What was the kingdom? He carried it within him. He carried the kingdom. This is why he says, if I by the finger of God cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And so, through the death, through the resurrection, he installs this kingdom. And he seeks to give dominion back to man. And so, this is why we should be intolerant and defiant and rebel against the LGBT agenda, Islam's agenda, Judaizer's agenda, Mormon's agenda. Why? Because they are not rulers of this earth. Christ is the ruler of this earth. And we must continually usher in that indestructible kingdom. Amen. This is what Amen. gives us authority and a basis and a purpose, and not only a purpose and a cause for which we should fight, but also a hope that we will succeed in doing so. Are we going to believe the traditions of men, or are we going to believe the Word of God? Are we, we see that straight from the gate that this was God's intention and design from the beginning. This was all in, in God's purpose and plan for man to exercise authority in this earth. Right? But he failed. He, he messed up. And so Christ comes and redeems that which was lost. Amen, somebody? Amen. <coughs> now, Amen. Um, I want us to quickly turn to Galatians chapter 4, verse 24. Because now I, I, I need just to follow and I, I want to ask you to put on your thinking caps because this is going to require a bit of thinking. Um, and I don't mean to bog us down with too much information. Um, but I, I believe this is vital because the problem that I'm seeing today is that um, believers have a hang on for dear life mentality. Um, they're surviving, they're not thriving. And what I have come to do is to put an axe to that mentality, not out of arrogance or self-righteousness, but I want to hopefully correct our thinking in the time that I have today with you, because if, if this is grasped, what will happen is there will be a paradigm shift in your mind that will give you a better and more hopeful outful, outful um, a ho more hopeful outlook in life with regards to the authority that Christ has, the authority that we have at, with our identity in Christ, and what we should hope and expect to see. Amen? Amen. So, um, Okay, let, let, let us continue forward. Galatians chapter 4, verse 24. <clears throat> the next point that I'm making is, is to answer the question where exactly um, is, is this kingdom's location? Okay, because the typical misunderstanding is that, that 
we're going to expect Jesus to put his feet on the Mount of Olives and that it's it's this earthly mountain that he's going to rule from. And I, I hope to show, I understand that some of us might have some misconceptions or, or some assumptions about um, about uh, about that view. And uh, I want to, again, um, ask that we um, give the utmost attention uh, to what I'm about to show you because this relates to what I've all I've said previous about uh, dominion and and ushering in the kingdom. Look at what it says here. It says Galatians chapter four verse twenty four. These things are be taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. He's talking about Hagar and he's talking about Sarah. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Okay, so he's correlating Hagar with Mount Sinai. Is that much clear? Is that clear thus far? Okay, and he says this. He says, um, now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city, Jerusalem. So do you hear what Paul's saying here? He's saying that the present city, Jerusalem, is actually Mount Sinai. And it corresponds to bondage. And it corresponds to Hagar. So where is where is present city Jerusalem? Uh, uh, excuse me, where where is he, uh, what is he attributing to present city Jerusalem? He's attributing to it, Mount. he's saying that it's Mount Sinai. Right? It's bondage. Okay, now what does he say from this point forward? He says, <coughs> he says, verse 26, But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, cry aloud you who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. So what is he saying here? He says, The real Jerusalem is a Jerusalem that is from above. Okay? And this is why Jesus says this in John chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, Unless a man is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom. Amen, somebody? Amen. I'm not preaching my thoughts. So what does he mean? He doesn't say he cannot see, the, he cannot see heaven. That's not what it says. He cannot see the kingdom. And what did uh, Nicodemus come to Jesus and ask about? He says, oh, we know that you are a teacher sent from God because no man can do these things except God were with him. What was he talking about? The miracles, the casting out of demons, and so on and so forth. Remember how Jesus says, if I by the finger of God cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. You have to take note of the fact that when Jesus says kingdom of God, he's not talking about heaven. He's talking about heaven's will brought to earth. And so he says, unless you are born again from above, you can't see the kingdom. You will be like the Pharisees when the kingdom has come upon you and you attribute it to the works of the devil. That's what the Pharisees did when Jesus was operating with the power of God. They couldn't see the kingdom. Neither did they enter into it. Amen, somebody? Amen. You following? So what is Paul saying here? 
He's saying that we are born from above. And that heavenly birth, we were born from the new Jerusalem. Just look at the text. I know that's this is probably mind-boggling for some of you. But just look at the text. I'm not injecting anything. I'm not look at what it says very clearly. Verse 25. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai, which is the first covenant, which the Jews always preached. It says, Today there's a veil over their minds. For the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers, lest they will be able to see the knowledge of, of the glory of Christ. But it says, and this Arabia corresponds to the present city, Jerusalem. What is present city? What was earthly? What was earthly? In the past, in the Old Testament, everything was by the flesh. But now it's by the Spirit through faith. Why do we have to have faith? Because we don't see a present city, Jerusalem, after the natural man. We have to see it by faith. That's how we see the kingdom, by the faith, by faith, through the Spirit. We can't see the blood spattered on the altar anymore. We have to see it by faith, through the Spirit. We can't see and touch and taste and handle. And as Colossians says and as Hebrews says, these things are destined to perish with its use. And what does it mean that they were destined to perish with its use? In 70 AD, when the temple was destroyed, it all perished. Touch not, taste not, handle not. Only certain people were able to handle the meat and the sacrifices on the altar. All of that death, all that perished. Amen, somebody? And all things have been made new. What has been made new? The new system. The new Jerusalem. From above. By faith, through the Spirit. A new priesthood. A new law. Amen. I, I can tell. I can tell some people are lost. Now, Amen. The, I th what what's happened? Let me interpret for you what you're experiencing. It's called cognitive dissonance. It's when there's a clash with existing knowledge and it's conflicted with new knowledge, and you're trying to orientate. Um. Now, let me show you another passage to, because the testimony is established on two or three witnesses. And I'm making a point here. And as I've said, this isn't just to play intellectual gymnastics or to, you know, wow people with knowledge. You, I'm, I have no concern or regard to sound, you know, like the brightest bulb in the package. So um, I don't. That, it's just stupid. Um, if you turn to John chapter four, verse 21, John chapter four, verse 21, I want, I want to prove to you from further texts that this is exactly what Jesus had in mind. John chapter four, verse 21, <coughs> woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Why? Because it's bondage. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come. 
That was 2,000 years ago. It has now come. For what? It's the favorable time. The time of the gospel. And he says this, When the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seek. Seeks God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in the truth. So you're looking at this mountain, and he's telling her, you got it wrong. And he manifested to her the Christ and revelation. And the revelation was this, the time is now coming, and has already now come, that the true worshipers will worship by the spirit. Well, where is the spirit from? Above. And this is what Jesus says again in John chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. The Spirit blows where He wills. And you can't discern where He comes from. But He says, everyone that is born of the Spirit, they can see the kingdom. Amen? Amen. So He said, stop looking at this natural stuff. See by the Spirit. Through faith. Another passage I want to show you guys. I need you guys to continue to hang on and bear with me. Um, I decided that through prayer that I need to help educate you guys a little more. Um, because as Ray Comfort said, he says, The bang is good. But it doesn't matter how loud the bang if it misses the target. And the target is the conscience and the mind. And... I know I, I rant on dead intellectualism a lot, but provided that knowledge is accompanied with fire, then it is good. But light without power will profit us nothing. But if we look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, <coughs> can I get an amen uh, in the chat just so I know that you guys are following? Amen. 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 Um, uh, you know, um, never mind, I'll spare that. Um, Revel, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, it says, But you, well, we'll actually begin at verse 18. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. The rest of you are too proud to say amen. I, I get it. We're in the flesh. You know, as Ravenhill said, he says, I've come to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. So. Amen. <clears throat> you, have, uh, oh, um, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. And hear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. What, what was he talking about there? The writer of Hebrews is talking about Mount Sinai. And what did Paul tell us in Galatians chapter 4? That the present city Jerusalem corresponds to Mount Sinai, 
What was Mount Sinai? It was where they distributed the law. And the law was unto condemnation. It could not save. For the Bible says it was weak through the flesh. It only revealed our sin. It served its purpose until the coming of the Christ. But it, 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 it waxed old. And so he's talking about Mount Sinai where the law was distributed. But verse 22 says this, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. Who is that city? Jesus says, A city on a hill cannot be hidden. He says in Psalms, he says, There are rivers that make glad the city of God. What are those rivers? It was prophesied in Ezekiel, the rivers that flowed from the temple. It was the rivers that Jesus spoke about will come from your belly and will flow unto everlasting life, which he spoke about concerning the Spirit. So he says, You have come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So he's saying, You're coming here. You you you're not you will come. He says, you are coming, but you have come to Mount Zion. And now he's not just talking about, now we understand that the scriptures speak not only for the present audience, but for all those who would, be, who, who would read after. So it's speaking to us too. Now let me ask you, when was the first time or the last time you sojourned to actual earthly Mount Zion? We haven't. But he's telling us, you have come to Mount Zion. So where is it? It's, it's uh, by the Spirit. We come by the Spirit. It says, you have come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn. So where is the new Jerusalem? It's the church by the Spirit. I'm just reading the text. And it's telling us that there in the text. That we are coming to this new Mount Zion. It says, To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Amen. Hallelujah. And look at, as we continue to read, verse 25, See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. <clears throat> if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth. Who is he talking about? He's talking about Moses, who warned them on earth from Mount Sinai. Amen? Now, what does he say? How much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? You see the contrast? Moses on earth from Mount Sinai, Jesus from heaven, Mount Zion. Heaven, earth, Moses, Jesus, Zion, Sinai. You, you get the correlation? It says, at that time his voice shook the earth. Who's a God's from Sinai. But now he has promised once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. What was shaken? Jesus prophesied about it. When one stone won't be left upon another. All of that was shaken. That old system. For what purpose? 
that is created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain. That dates that we're pointing back to Daniel chapter 2 verse 44 where it talks about a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That kingdom has come. And so guess what that means for you and I? That Jesus is ruling at the present moment. Otherwise, why would he say all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me? Amen. Unless you think the devil is ruling. Who's ruling, Jesus or the devil? Jesus is ruling. He told you. He told us. Now, verse 28, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, he tells us what that is that cannot be shaken, prophesied about in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. Then a kingdom will come that cannot be shaken. It says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So let us be thankful that we have received this kingdom that can't be shaken. Amen. So what does that imply that a kingdom has come? That he, let, 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 me, let me back it up with scripture. He wants us to rule and to reign with him. So guess what that means? No more doomsday mentality. Guess what that means? No more prophesying death. Guess what that means? That we aren't doormats in this earth, but we will rule as kings and priests with Christ. Look at Revelation chapter... Uh, um, Revelation chapter 1 verse 26. <coughs> Revelation chapter 1 verse 26. Oh no, excuse me. Revelation chapter... Um, Revelation chapter 1, verse 6. I'm sorry. Are we following? You guys learning something? Amen. Okay, so only three of you. That's all right. Maybe the rest will get converted here soon. <laughs> I'm just messing up. I'm a jokester, so don't, don't take my jokes as insults, okay? I, uh, it, it'll, it'll deliver you. <laughs> because, see, the thing is, we not only need deliverance from demons, we need deliverance from bad theology. Amen. So, Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, it says this, Well, let's just go verse 5, actually. And from Jesus Christ, who is a, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. Remember it says that in Hebrews chapter 12? You have come to Mount Sinai, the, the, the church of the living God, right? Or, or the, uh, the firstborn from the dead, right? 
Or it speaks of firstborn, and it speaks of the church of the living God, and assembly of, of angels, and so on and so forth. Right? So, again, Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So what is it saying? That we have been made kings and priests in the kingdom of God. Well, has that kingdom come? Yes, it has. Jesus told us, the time is now coming when the true worshipers will worship by the Spirit. He says the kingdom has come among you. The kingdom has been has come nigh. What did he tell his apostles to preach? He says, preach in each city, saying that the kingdom has come nigh unto thee. Amen. And so, if we have been made kings and priests... What does, where does that leave the church? Let, let me show you one other passage, Revel, uh, Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, verse 27. <clears throat> then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. Let's read that again. Remember, what is the book of Daniel about? It's about the latter times. Okay? And it's talking about the messianic rule. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, um, not Masonic. Um, someone thought I said Masonic last time. <laughs> I'm like, what? Jesus wasn't no Freemason. <laughs> it, messianic. M-E-S-S. -S, not M-A-S. So messianic reign. Then the sovereignty, power, greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people, the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey Him. So number one is saying that the kingdom, all, all the kingdoms shall be given to the holy people. Who are the holy people? Us. We are saints. Again, comes from the Greek word hagias. That means holy ones, separate ones. And it says his, now it's singular, referring to Jesus. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. So this is the scope of his authority. That he, he brings his kingdom to all the kingdoms and he has rulership over them all. And he gives his holy people rulership to rule. This is why Revelation chapter 1 verse 6 says that we've been made kings and priests unto our God. Man, I feel cognit cognitive dissonance like a mug in here. Cognitive dissonance. You have to reorientate. Um, I know that it can take some time to to catch on, but um, <clears throat> and th this isn't an intellectual problem, like an educational problem. What what needs to happen is we have to let go of our traditions. 
We have to let go of some of the traditions that we picked up along the way. Um, see, Jesus' resurrection from the grave wasn't a defeat. So why are we keep prophesying defeat as the church? We are a force to be reckoned with on the earth. Do you understand that? We are a force to be reckoned with on earth. I can have an authority to say that from the authority of Scripture. Look at Psalm. Let me let me show you a couple other passages. Psalm chapter one hundred and ten. Psalm one hundred and ten, verse one. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. When did this occur? In fact, I, I want to I give us some Bible trivia. When, I want to ask somebody in this group, who, who's a brave um, uh, person, who's brave enough to tell me or, or guess when do you think this occurred? When the Lord said to Jesus... Um, Sit in my right hand. Yes, when Jesus ascended. Because it says after he made in Hebrews, after he made purification from for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he made purifications by his death and his resurrection, then he ascended on high, right? So this is a, this is uh, the ascension here. He sits down. He says, "Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet." Then the Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. Where is Zion? In the heavens, in the church, the city of the living God. We are that city, right? Where the scepter shall not depart from Judah, David shall not see or fail to have a, a, a descendant on his throne who will rule and reign. Right? The scepter from Zion saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Now, if if this so how is it that he's ruling in the midst of his enemies? We have enemies now as the church of God. And Jesus has installed his rulership already and needs us to reign in the midst of our enemies. Who He says, sit at my right hand until I make an enemy a footstool for your feet. Okay, now, hold on, let me just read this real quick and I'll, I'll show you uh, another revelation to, to, to back this up. The Lord said, extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on the day of battle, arrayed in holy splendor. Your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. This was actually quoted in the book of Acts. Peter quoted this. Peter quoted this passage here. The day of battle is the day of Pentecost. The troops that are willing, who had been converted to the gospel, and were now in, uh, ushering in the kingdom. And we are now ruling in the midst of our enemies. And if you look in, in Isaiah chapter 52, 
as I said, we're going to be doing a bit of reading because I need you guys to see this. Because otherwise, you wouldn't believe me if I if I showed if I didn't show all these passages. He says, uh, 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 he says, sit in my right hand until I make an enemy your enemies a footstool for your feet. Right. Um. Hold on, it's not Isaiah. Um, excuse me, one second. Can you guys show me where, can you guys, one of you guys look up uh, the passage where it says, Blessed are the feet that bring good tidings, but not the one that's referenced in the New Testament. I'm talking about the one referenced in the Old. If someone could please pull that up for me. It says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. You who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. So remember, we have come to Mount Zion, the church of the living God, the city of the living God. Who are the feet? The messengers of the gospel of peace. Okay, who are that? Those are the feet of Jesus, the messengers. Well, what did the Bible says in Psalm 110? Sit at my right hand until I make an enemy a footstool for your feet. Who are the feet of Jesus? Second, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The hand can't say to the feet, I have no need of you. Romans chapter 16. May the God of peace soon crush Satan under your feet. Who is an enemy? Satan. Amen. Who are to be brought underneath the feet of Jesus? Our enemies. We are to rule in the midst of our enemies. See, just find, just allow the Bible to speak for itself, term after term after term, and keep referencing old from new, and you will get what God intended for you to get. And so guess where that leaves us? Not as doormats. I forgot what verse, but it's in Romans 16. It says, <clears throat> may the God of peace crush Satan underneath your feet. Why does it say the God of peace? Because we preach the gospel of peace. It, it, um... <coughs> <coughs> Now, I want us to turn to Psalm chapter 2. This is the last passage I will refer to to prove uh, this point. But again, if you look right there in Isaiah chapter 52, it says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Your God reigns. And and this we know it's a, 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 a spiritual thing because if you look in Isaiah chapter fifty six it says the uncircumcised will no longer enter into Zion. Well, who are the circumcised? Paul tells us that in Philippians chapter three verse three it says we are the circumcision who worship God by the Spirit. 
See the correlation? Circumcised in the heart by the Spirit. We can now worship the Lord anywhere, at any time, at any place by the Spirit. And the reason why the uncircumcised can't enter in, because you have to enter in by faith. But Jesus tells us in John 3 that only those who have been born again can see and enter the kingdom. Amen. So, <clears throat> now, Psalm chapter 2, then I will get to my, my, the, the point of this entire message. Psalm chapter 2, verse 1, Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger, terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. Who is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. When did he do that? When he said, sit at my right hand until I make an enemy the footstool for your feet in the heavens. Right? And we know it's heavens because Galatians 4 told us that this was a heavenly thing from above. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son today. I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. So when did he receive the nations as his possession? Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples. So how is it that we bring the nations under the subjection, uh, un, in subjection to the rulership of Christ? Is to make disciples. We no longer war by the sword of the, uh, by the work, by a physical sword. We war by the sword of the spirit. And that's how we bring down strongholds. Strongholds are a military term. And each of these nations have altars and strongholds we need to destroy. And we need to continue to advance and to bring into the subjection of Christ. That's why it says, All things have been placed underneath His feet, yet we do not yet see all things placed underneath His feet. It is a progressive thing we need to continue to advance towards. We need to continue to drive out the Canaanites. We need to continue to expand influence and impact for the sake of the kingdom of God. Amen. Now, <clears throat> I want to close in four points in exactly how we rule uh, with Christ and we extend His rulership. Number one, we make disciples. Uh, the Bible tells us that in Matthew 28, verse 18 and 19 and on, right? He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go make disciples. So if heaven, if authority hasn't been given to him, we have no basis, nor authority, nor power to make disciples. But since all has been given to him, we now therefore must go make disciples. Number two is that we cast out demons. 
The Bible says, uh, if I by the finger of God cast out demons, the kingdom has come upon you. That's how the kingdom is advanced. Right? Number three is by preaching the word. Conversion. Uh, uh, preaching the gospel. Evangelizing. And number four, this is open to all. Because some might say, I'm not an evangelist. Okay, yeah, that's fine. Um, some might say, I'm not called to make disciples, which not everybody is called to, by the way. Um, is prayer. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 6 and Luke 11 that we are to pray in this way. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so now, a lot of this teaching is related to a global perspective. We have to have a global perspective when we are seeking to establish and advance the kingdom of God. And, and, and here's a final point that I want to make, is the way that you work. See, this is... When you work at your job, you should be seeking elevation. You should be seeking influence. You should be seeking to bring the kingdom of Christ there. And so what, what, what would prevent you from, from you climbing up the ladder? And you no longer being on the bottom, but you, like Joseph, you, like Daniel, begin to scale the ladder and begin to have more influence for, that you can now wield for the sake of the kingdom. To bring righteousness there. To bring justice there. To bring equity there. To bring uh, good decision making there. Versus the wicked who only bring corruption. If you want to be a counselor, who who says that uh, by the power of God you can't have your own uh, uh, um, um, office? That you will there will come a day that you will no longer have to give orders from the wicked, but that you can begin to exercise the rulership of Christ on earth through your influence and through your sphere and through your jurisdiction. Does that make sense? <clears throat> See, w one of the biggest problems I have is um, people, I've heard it said time and time again, you know, you, you're so, um, you're so heavily minded, you're no earthly good. I think the unfortunate reality is that the sons of this world, the sons of mammon, are wiser than the children of light. And we just passively allow the unrighteous to take what rightfully belongs to us. The Bible says that he shall lay up the wealth of the wicked and give it to the righteous. Amen. See, you have no authority to just dismiss these passages as if, oh, well, no. Uh, as if, oh, no, that's just Brother Greg. No, I am quoting Bible after verse after verse, and you have to deal with it. And the, the reason why it would be rejected is because it doesn't comport with the system you've already made up.
Jesus' death on the cross was a victorious one. And his ascension. See, look, this is why the Jews can't understand us Christians. Because we're proclaiming a Messiah that leaves the entire world to defeat. That doesn't make sense to a Jew. The hope of the Jews was always that the Messiah would come and establish his rule on earth. Not just heaven. We keep preaching about a heaven, saying sinners, oh, would you want to come to heaven? Would you want to come to heaven? No, they don't want to come to heaven. They want you to bring heaven to them. How do you expect them to delight in heaven if you can't bring heaven to them? They've never been to heaven. You need to bring the kingdom of heaven to them. It's no wonder why they go to witchcraft. It's no wonder why they go to gangs. They go to gangs for protection. But what happens if we begin to proclaim a Christ who can protect? What happens when we begin to say you don't have to yield witchcraft so you can gain money and wealth to feed your family? You don't have to consort with demons. You can consort to the God of heaven who is able to actually... And give you what you need. That's what it means. That you don't have to go fly across the entire ocean and spend all of your life saving to handle, uh, to solve your issue of blood. I know a Christ who has come to this earth, who has preached peace and forgiveness and restoration and prosperity, who can handle your situation. You don't have to go to a witch doctor. You ain't got to go to the... uh, the, the, uh, the trap house down the street. There's a God who can satisfy, can deliver, and make whole. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Our preaching today is irrelevant. We're saying, oh, you, well, you just, you know, when you die, you go to heaven, all of it will be peace and amazing. Once you see the struggling mother on welfare with three kids need to hear more than that. See, Jesus didn't just come and die on the cross just so you can uh, have a a good life in heaven. It says, uh, uh, when Jesus' birth was announced, he says, goodwill towards men uh, in heaven and on earth. Goodwill towards men on earth. We, we've presented a pie-in-the-sky religion. I'm not saying that getting to heaven isn't the end goal. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is this. Everybody in this gathering today did not come to Jesus because you expected your life to get worse. Did you? Amen. Amen. If you expected your life to get worse, please testify. Testify against the Bible. Testify against your own experience. Because you and I both know that is a lie. We come to Christ believing in a gracious God who is merciful, who is able to restore the broken years and the broken rubble and restore and make what is what was trash, make it a, 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 um, a trophy unto the Lord to display His wondrous grace. Hallelujah. Well, I'm sorry to say, Daniel, I don't mean to call you on the spot. I mean, you confessed, but 
I, that's where I would say our theology needs a change. Well, do you want me to explain that? Uh, maybe afterward. Uh, afterward, you, you could do that. I actually uh, got to get going about right now, but um, yeah. So, I mean, long, just long story short, I mean, coming out of fire and brimstone, I, I was going back to a high demand. I thought I was going back to like high demand religion, where you know it was where it was kind of like this, you know, God is just this, you know, you know, this divine dictator that's just you know willing to crush me, you know, um, as soon as I like you know get caught up in sin and there's like very little grace and mercy to be spoken of, so. I came out of fire and brimstone, was able, uh, then kind of fell into lukewarmness because I wasn't able to, to keep with that kind of pressure. Then, then I got pressured um, by conviction of, of the sinful life I was living. <coughs> then I actually, and so when I came back to Christ, I thought I was going back to that, but he graciously uh, moved me into a, a better direction. So mm. that's why it was kind of like I expected things to not be good, come, going back to that, because like, I was like, you know, this sin stuff is bad, but... You know, it's it's worse than what I'm going to be going to here, but mm. not to be fun at all. You know, going back to like this fire and brimstone workspace kind of religion. But it was a misconception. So okay, well that that makes sense. I mean, because that's that's where I said the theology has to change because we 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 come to Christ, and and there might be people who come to Jesus thinking, yeah, my life is probably going to be worse. But I, I just don't want to go to hell. But if you look at the scriptures, Jesus and the apostles never preached that way. They never even used hell as a motivation for men to repent. Now, I know that they introduced hell and they talked about hell. But what was the reoccurring theme? It was this. There's the blessed hope of the Messiah. The promise of the Father. There's always these great, what is Paul's motivation for our cleansing, uh, the cleansing our spirits and flesh? He says, therefore, cleanse yourself from all filthiness of flesh and spirit since we have received these great and precious promises. See, we love God because he first loved us. It's the goodness and the kindness of God that leads men to repentance. It's always the goodness and the kindness and the promises. See, people say, you know, this is why I don't like the Reformed preachers, because they always say, you know, if you keep talking like that, then they're going to come to Christ on the basis of X, Y, and Z. Well, duh, that's what makes Christ attractive. That he can deliver me. That I, I don't have to be, uh, um, uh, I don't have to live a trashy life anymore. That he can clean me up. Let, let me tell you this. It, every time you said yes to the Spirit of God, was it for your good or was it for your destruction? It's for your good. Does God say, hey, marry the right person so you can have a failure marriage or a good one? Does he say to be honest on the job because he wants you to lose it tomorrow or because he wants you to prosper in it? Does he say to be skilled as a musician so you can be trash for the audition or so that you can have integrity and actually present something worthwhile for people to be entertained by? See, I know this, this messes with people's perspective of God because they think that 
God is just trying to make your life hell on earth. And it's funny to me because it's always the people who preach against this who are the very same people living, living the best of lives. So I guess, you know, it, like there was someone yesterday on Facebook telling me like this is just like not biblical, right? I said that, that God wants to prosper his people. I, and I asked, are you prosperous? Okay, well, would you mind like signing me over like a lease or like could I have your stuff or? What? <laughs> and I know I'm being sarcastic, but I just I just don't like fake. If you're gonna really teach that stuff, then hey, all right, go ahead and like just you know live a live just give away everything. You get what I'm saying? The Bible says he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. The Bible says in Deuteronomy that uh, it says that no poor shall be among you. We have to, again, we have to deal with these passages. And we can't just dismiss them and say, oh, that's Old Testament. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, it says all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Him. It had to say all the promises of God because there are promises in the text that were not spoken by the mouth of Jesus but were spoken in the Old Testament. And so even those promises are yes and amen in, in Christ. Does that Does that make sense? Um so as as we as we come to a close um the point of this is this we have been called to exercise our rightful authority on earth to regain dominion by the authority of Christ And so what does it mean to have dominion? Look at right back at Genesis. Authority over the creatures, over every creeping thing, and and to and to establish God's kingdom on earth. That's what we, we've been called to do. Because dominion has been given to Jesus, but guess who he's using? Us. God was in heaven in the book of Genesis using Adam to work the garden and to have dominion. Guess who he's using now? He's using the church. Man, you guys are hard to preach to this morning. You have to... um, Drop the offense and pick up the blessing. Amen. You know it 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 does bewilder me a bit because I find it I find it hard to um, and I understand why. When we hear that God wants to bless us, 
and things like that, we find it hard. You know why? Because you're 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 believing a theology that you have filtered through your own insecurities. You think that God isn't that good. Or that you possibly couldn't receive from him this, that, or the other. And so you interpret everything through the grid of defeat, everything through um, insecurity. And, and as much as we would like to think, I'm just reading the Bible. No, we have certain things that we already view about God and we try to make the scriptures fit that description we have of him. The cessationists do it all the time. There's many people that do this all the time. This is why we have to read and interpret the scriptures by the Spirit. Your mind is no good when it comes to interpreting the scriptures. It's the Holy Spirit that we have to read through. Through His lens. This is why it says, uh, uh, Eye has not seen, neither ear heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of men what God has prepared for those who love Him. It says, But he has revealed these things to us by his spirit. Amen. So what does this mean for us? We have a king who reigns in Zion. The church of the firstborn. The city of the living God. There are rivers that make glad the city. Those rivers are the rivers of the Holy Ghost. And he dwells in our midst. And he dwells in us. So we don't have to go to a mountain anymore. We do this by the Spirit. And where does the Bible... The Bible says in Psalm 110 that Jesus will rule from Zion... So Jesus wants to rule through the church. We are his hands and feet. So guess what that means for us? It doesn't mean defeat. Who was swept away in the days of Noah? The wicked were. Who was swept away in the days of Abraham and Lot? The wicked were. Who was swept away in the days of Moses? The wicked were. As it is in the days of the Son of Man, so shall it be in the days of Noah. So were the righteous swept away or were the wicked? But we don't we don't we 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 believe left behind more than we believe the Bible. Now, interesting enough though, Kirk Cameron actually changed his view. It's funny that he is one of the guys in left behind, but anyways. I don't I don't mean to, I don't say this to be insulting. I say this so you can be delivered from a defeatist mindset. Because it, it it tends to bondage. It doesn't tend to liberty. It tends to bondage and expectation of defeat and doom. So hopefully 